0: was a period of time between 2001 and 2006, I would say, where, like, it was such a powder keg, there was, like, everything was reacting off each other, and, like, because initially it was, like, obviously you had, like, the strokes and the white stripes came together at the same, well, they they came through at the same time, but then, like, a lot of electro clash came through at the same time, and there was, like, enough cross-pollination between those scenes that, like, it almost felt like one thing. It's, almost, it's more of a shared attitude than a, like, musical genre or something. Yeah. Which is, like, I, I think that's always going to... It always seems more vital than just a lot of people playing this... Just, like, tied together by the fact that they, like, dress the same or, like, you know, have the same musical aesthetic or whatever. But that, that, and then you had, like, a, the, then you had, like a, those first, like first couple of British bands coming through like us and Li- Libertines and us yes. and there was that that phase that early phase for me was the most exciting because it was like we would be playing with like the Libertines one night and then like some kind of like avant-garde like uh, electronic music the next night and then the, on the night after that like something like yeah like the hidden cameras from Toronto it's like there was, it, it was like Ryan was saying it's more of a shared attitude than a sound and then like Post like 2006, the UK became like more homogenized, where like big labels were like signing bands mainly through MySpace and stuff like that, and it's so like it all became wave, that it second was the second wave way. It was like I feel like there was a lot of bands that were influenced by the bands by current bands, and that's always uh, a that's always shaky ground I think if yeah, you get bands that are influenced by current bands you know what I mean because it, became, like... so, it becomes self referential and I think yeah. the UK like that, that second wave that, that glo- of that glo- like, I'm not if people like that that's, that's cool but it, for us like none of that replicated the excitement of like that early part of the 2000s where it was like it was just so vibrant you know anyway that's 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 uh, like that's a good time to be there you know
1: no I love all of this because that's what everyone tells me all the time that's what they're messaging me and that's what I experienced as well. We are here with The Cribs. It's me, Liv, your Indie Sleaze admin, and we're talking all things music, and The Cribs had a phenomenal set, and we've been talking about the 2000s. In England, they were really hoping that a band like you would come along, and you did, and everyone was so excited, and they really kind of were drawing comparisons to The Strokes. Did you like that comparison or did you like that pressure or was it a little much
0: it was weird because we were in Wakefield like growing up and we were playing in a band together and the only local scene that there was was a hardcore scene and so like they were the people that we hung out with but we weren't really into that kind of music but that's the scene that we grew up on it was like much more of a hardcore scene and the music that we were playing we were always into like the Beatles and the Kings and, and punk of course because that was something that you couldn't get away from and I remember a guy coming up to me in a bar in Wakefield and saying, have you ever, have you heard The Strokes? And I was like, no. And he's like, oh, you love them. It, it sounds like the kind of stuff you guys do. And I was like, there's no way that it will do. There's no way that it will do. Because we were very twee at the time. And then I listened to him and I loved the, the production of that first single. I was like, this is actually really interesting. So we never appreciated comparisons because I always think that it's just like a, a really, really reductive way of well, telling someone what someone sounds like was, but, I, but we, I liked The Strokes I went to go see them at Leeds like we, we, we played at Leeds University and we like like just talked our way and somehow like snuck in and watched them and it was one of the better shows that I'd seen for like five years or something, I did think they were a good band. I just don't think like comparisons ever help like anyone. It was out, a really. double edged sword though because it was it was really like it was extremely flattering to be compared to the strokes so who we were like at the time were like the hottest band in the world. That kind of put a lot of attention on the cribs. Like a lot of labels were interested in us at that point. The fact out we were brothers who like lived in a small town that like really ramped it up even more. But the double edged sword of it, it was like. For all the excitement that it caused around the band, you also had so almost like you had to prove yourself more because we weren't from New York City or we weren't like we weren't you know we yeah, I mean, we yeah. were from Wakefield. It was like it was, it was a, a, an anomalous. You know what I'm saying it's like I understand why people make those comparisons, but you can't be that quick out of the traps unless you already existed. You know what I mean? Unless you have incredibly cynical and I don't like to think that any bands are quite as cynical as that where they would like have a like a couple of weeks rehearsal and try and get a set together that's aping whatever's going on, like we were always yeah, you know, we've been around for a few years at that point but I remember thinking oh, stuff might, you know this is actually kind of exciting that this there's that like lo-fi stuff on the radio I, the first time we were working in a factory the first time I heard those guys and the White Stripes and stuff like that on the radio, and it was like lo-fi music. I was like, "Oh, this is like this is really interesting." I never ever thought that this was gonna happen. I think our association with it was different too, because like we listened to like sympathy for the record industry bands already. So when like when the White Stripes were on the ra- on radio one playlist, I was like. Holy shit! That's so weird. That's that sympathy for the record. industry yeah, band. That... How did they get on the radio? One playlist. That was the way that I viewed it. I didn't see it as in like this movement. I was like, well, this like sympathy band are on the radio. One playlist. That was like mind blowing to me. You know. So that we we our prism was a little like the way that we saw it was like we didn't really read the music press or anything. A little like, bit more. A little bit more naive, I suppose. You yeah. know what I mean? We like. Um, we were the kind of people that would order seven inches from like, indie labels and stuff like that and thought that that was like, the big time, you know. So.
1: Just from my time going to England to visit my family, my mom's from Liverpool, and like all the music coming out of there was just so good and really, really influenced the scene.
0: One of the great things about it, like, the UK was so disparate at that point because like what was going on in London with the Libertines and there was a lot of satellite bands around that, there was, like, stuff going on in, like, the north of England and in Scotland. And then, like, later there was, like, what they dubbed New Yorkshire, which was, like, because a lot of bands in Yorkshire, like, were come in. It was, I think, like, in London it was so odd that, like, the centre of gravity moved away from London. So, like, I think because the internet was burgeoning in at the time as well, like, kids didn't need to go to London anymore. So the, so the London music scene was really trying to play catch-up because it was, like, you were getting scenes happening in all these different towns, and like that's why they dubbed it New York. Yeah, because like the, it's weird that like you know three the, bands came out of Yorkshire. The, all the at once industry or were actually wait to the party in that regard because they always thought that you had to go to them. You know what I mean? So when stuff was going on in the provinces, you know that kind of caught them by by surprise. But I, I, I mean, in my opinion, like, the, as far as the UK goes, I've I, I always, I've always felt that like rock and roll is the chosen art form of the working class. And in the UK, the divisions are drawn down the class lines. So, like, I can only speak of the 90s and the 2000s, but it was like rock and roll, or, or strip back to stu- just having fr- fun in a rehearsal room with your friends. That was the art form of, of that particular class of people, you know, and that's why it was so rife. And a lot of people were doing it purely as a you know, as a release or, or so something boring. to do because they were bored it wasn't it wasn't done with the idea of being a star you know what I mean and that becomes more appealing to people like when you know, they, because it just seems more it just I don't know it just makes it more legit I suppose we sort of felt like you have to overcome this like stigma where in London it's like the stuff in London would be considered more arty or something because like that's where people go to like Make it whereas, like people like in small towns, it would be seen as more like yeah, like Ryan was saying, more like a pressure release kind of thing. Like we we sort of felt like people were maybe like you had we re- like bands from the north really had to prove themselves, yeah. you know. Having said that, like in Glasgow, like there was a lot of stuff going on around the art school up there. All these like places that always had their own lineage of like how bands came through, but nothing was ever connected up until the internet and until web forums and web forums like just sort of knitted everything together like for us it's like we could we could put a gig on in Wakefield tell people on our web forum that we were playing it and people would come to us rather than us have to go up to them like which was like it was so fascinating it was like and this is something we talked about as a band it was like there was this nexus of like the internet being advanced enough to bring people together but not but it was new enough that it was exciting, whereas now people take it for granted. So in that period of time before people took it for granted, it was something that people genuinely like were excited about and like not jaded. So for building a fan base it was amazing. People would follow you around everywhere, you know, and like and, and you could like we could announce a gig on the morning and have people travel and come and you would sell it out in the evening and like I think for the for the like for the traditional music industry that was like a little bit weird that all these these bands were happening so quickly Mm -hmm. and they were just trying to catch up which is why you got that post-2006 like boom where major labels were just throwing money at MySpace bands really and using MySpace as like a for A&R purposes which is you know didn't necessarily make for great art but it was it was fun, you
1: know. Yeah, it's yeah. cool that kids could do that. It I was think. kind
0: of a Wild West too, of like MP3 yeah. sharing and music trading. And yeah, also so, helped bands. Get and in. a lot of the labels tried fighting that, like for a long yeah. time too. Yeah. I remember, like, at, like at album, the new fellows, that leaked like months in advance after mm. recording. I remember being, we were really disappointed when that mm. happened for like a couple of days until all of a sudden, like, every, like you know, you you felt the impact of it leaking. Immediately, Mm, yeah. And after that, we're like, oh, we we just didn't. We weren't bothered. The label was still pissed about it, but we weren't. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, like, and I think the label were bummed at first, but then they realised also that like, you know, it was a a, like a net benefit because like every single went into the top forty. Which when every single goes into the top forty, then like then the radio pluggers and the like and the TV pluggers, they all start coming to you as opposed to you going to them. So like yeah like Rye said it was it was actually like almost tangible like it leaked and all of a sudden like yeah like every gig you went to was like full and everyone knew every song and it was like that people are so familiar now with how the internet breaks bands that that doesn't seem that weird mm-hmm. but back then I can't tell you what a crazy trip that was with like three brothers from Wakefield to go to like you know like, a, a, like somewhere like Northampton or Shrewsbury or like or like you know, Exeter and like have it show up in the venue be totally full and everyone know all the words. Yeah, That's you know, like they're, they're so all, the words to, all the words to the songs on an album that is three months away from release. Yeah. You know, what I mean it's exciting stuff. I think I think that to, for me that was always a big story of the two thousands, that intersection of like technology like being so new and but so that people weren't jaded by it, but also, like, effective enough that it could be used in a, in a positive way as opposed to, like, a, something that people are, like, taking for granted, so...
1: Mm. You know. that's, that's the main thing that, like, a lot of people really resonate with my account because it's such a great time for that and people miss it. When we talk about this, do you think there's any kind of disruptive potential with like NFTs or Web3 for independent artists coming up now because you know there's a lot of talk about how hard it is to make it now as a new band and make money and actually be able to support yourself in order to go yeah. on tours like do you have any kind of ideas it, in
0: the- it wouldn't make sense for us to say it because it honestly if, if I learn anything from it it's the kids that make stuff happen and yeah. figure yeah. stuff out they yeah. always figure stuff out it's like evolution you know it's like I could like pontificate or I could have like all sorts of ideas of what could work or what will work something totally different will work because a 15 year old will figure it out Yeah, I mean it's like everything that we've just been explaining was like the kids taking the power away from the the music industry of the 90s like those people had like had their time and the kids subverted it it wasn't even us it was like we were the beneficiaries of it but it was the kids who did it and it's like I don't know anything about like you know some of the technology that you were just mentioning but at the same time it's like a lot of the good that's come out of it is like artists do so much for themselves before anyone else any like label or management get involved that they know their value already so that they, they start out diy and then when the regular industry wants to like get involved with that they kind of like they know their value and, they, and, they, and they're a little bit suspicious i hope that people will like get screwed over less. It's like by our nature being brothers and having done things on a very grassroots DIY level ourselves, we were really reluctant to like, I mean, we were sort of like famously quite cynical, but that's because we like did try and keep a lot of that stuff at arm's length. And I think that today's generation of artists, it's like, whether I like their music or not, whether I understand their art or not, like they do have like a, a grounding in DIY essentially and like that I think that's I think that's a good thing I think that like like the parasitic idea of like the music industry like you know like sucking like the life out of an artist and then like cast cast them aside when they're done with them I think that's less likely I mean you get much higher and much quicker turnover but that's just the nature of like how people consume music now people don't really want to live with a song for, for or an album for a year anymore so I think that's the reason why, you know, it's more more than, like, industry politics.
1: Your self-titled album that came out in 2004, following up from that, what I kind of read was that you were taken off tour and they wanted you to go to to work on your follow-up album, but you were putting your number on the internet trying to get gigs places.
0: They they took us off tour because even though, really, I, I think we were probably fairly self-sufficient by that point because we were just doing it out of our own van but the label didn't want us to be on the road we wanted us to make a follow-up and we hadn't really written any songs we had our own studio at the time that we were working in but we hadn't, like, we, you know they they booked us into the studio and we didn't have any materials to record really and we felt that if, if, if we went back home and just sat around at home there, there was no way we were going to write a, a Relevant record in a short amount of time, so it was like, uh, yeah, we like on our phone we put our phones on, so look, you know, we'll come play anywhere, and we were playing in like some really like like tertiary places at that point, and and it, again this was one of the things that I really enjoyed about it. it's like just want to get in touch and they'd be like, oh, I'm the promoter at whatever venue and, in, you know, it's just a pub in, like, the middle of nowhere and you'd, and you'd, you'd show up and, they'd help, you know, you'd be emailing them, they'd be specking it, they'd show out with you. you go meet them and you'd be like, where's the promoter? And it'd just be a, a young, a real like, n- not what you expect the promoter to be at all, yeah. just, just a, a motivated, like, fan, you know. And, like, I, I thought that that showed that the scene, for want of a better word, was in really good health, that people were so motivated that to do this great. stuff. So we yeah, we continued and stayed out on the road, and basically wrote the record on the road about what we were seeing going on, and it was more of like a documentary, that second record, because I think that after we put the first album out, as, as exciting as it was to, you know, be in the legit music industry we had noticed the ugly side straight away or the things where it wasn't really what we wanted it to be so we yeah we tried to like go back to our roots and um a lot of that second record was about issues with what we were seeing happening you know yeah and like actually going back to what ryan was saying earlier about like when you like putting the number on the internet and like that that was just like from like back in the day like that's we we did everything just through networking, like through like fanzines yeah, and stuff. Every so. fanzine that we that we had a demo or CD reviewed in, we would always send a contact info. It was always just my mobile number, you know. So it didn't feel any different to just put that on a forum yeah, so as it did to put it in a fanzine, you know. And just we just continued doing that because we were kids from a small town. We knew like very no bands came to Wakefield when in the nineties, so we knew that like. When a band came to town, it, it was really important, and it meant a lot to the kids there, so, like, no town was too small for us, we were like, yeah, if a kid calls from, like, a small town, we know that if we go to that town, we'll be everyone's favourite band in that town, and so that, that's the reason why the singles would chat, because it's, like, it wasn't because there was loads of money being pumped into it, it wasn't because, like, we were getting, like, radio play... It was because like the people like that we went to go play to like we like we made enough people into hardcore fans that like it, like then the radio came to us. It was yeah. great because we were selling like a thousand copies in Driffield or yeah. something. You know what I mean? Like a town where no one sells records, and we 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 were hitting all these small places and for us as well. We actually enjoyed those shows more. It yeah. was a lot less showbiz or professional or whatever. It was more in our wheelhouse to go and play the mm-hmm. way, you know, just in a in a pub in a small town. And it was it was really like it was exciting. It was a lot of fun, you know. What I mean, yeah. that, that was a fun people time. and that felt good. It, it, it feels good if it matters to people, and that was, that was And that made us feel good because we we were like we said we grew up used to like the idea that no shows would come to our town. It was, yeah. wasn't deemed important enough, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the song off your self titled album, You and I. I love that song. Oh Can you tell me how, how you kind of like came up with it or like what was the inspiration behind it?
0: So we used to run a studio in Wakefield, it's called Springtime, it's in an old mill. And it was just like, like, the gear was like severely outdated, old analog gear. That was just what you could get in the second-hand shops. And to make that place break even, we had to let other bands rehearse there during the day. And then we would use it on a night. And there was a band in the front room, and I was waiting for them to leave, and I was messing about with my guitar. And I put a, a, a tremolo arm on it because I just thought I'd been watching Pulp Fiction, and there's a lot of surf guitar on it. I'd like we watched it the night before and I was like, oh, I'll try writing something with the tremolo I'm on. And then I wrote one bit, and I showed Gary. And I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. And then while the other band was finishing, me and him were just, like, tinking and writing it in the studio. And then later on, Ross came down, and we just recorded it right there. And then that's all. It came all I really fast. I mean, mo- most of the stuff on that first album just came like what Rice said. It just, like, we we just loved having our own space and loved the, like, being able to play together. We wrote so much stuff really quick. And, like, there was... It was very garage rock There was no thought Put into it It was just like Fun to do There was no like No expectation we were, we just, It was just fun When we were writing as well And you were going You wanna nice. As if like As if it was an opera singer or something. Yeah, you just like Making a joke You know I'm Like oh that sounds good like, let's, let's just do it, do it like Let's that. use it No one has any preconceptions Like maybe no one's Gonna hear it So it's like Yeah I'll sing it I'll sing it like a ghost Would sing it or something You know just, just, that was just how fun. Like, it was just fun, you know. No, no, no other
1: Now this lineup for just like Heaven Fest is like a lot of bands that came out around that era. How would you describe this festival's vibe?
0: John you know, I was worried about it at first. I was worried that like, it's like I was saying about your account. Like, it's like when people finally put everything in front of people as a whole. That's when people realize like how different it is from like what's going on now because a lot of it is still relevant to me it's like Modest Mouse have been releasing records The Shin's been releasing records like Franz Ferdinand ourselves it still feels like a, an extension of what we've been doing for the last 15 years whatever but when people curate it and put it all together, that's when you first can, like, recognise that it's, like, it does have its own thing. So I was worried when we were arriving, I was like, this might feel jarring for us. It might make it's us... It's like a nostalgia, like a nostalgia fest yeah. or whatever, which is kind of, thing you know, that in our conscious brain, we would never want to do, you know. Want but, it to feel kitschy, you know. But, I, but if, if, if I'm honest, I, I feel like people are celebrating the, the side of it that they enjoy and remember and that's that's relevant to them mm. rather than like focusing on the kitsch you yeah, know yeah. like and as I'm aware so like it's not just the bands just rolling out the picks either. I feel like people are like, you know, these are bands that are still going, you yeah, know, and yeah. still having popular records. So, yeah. if it wasn't for the fact that we had to drive from Reno last yeah. night and we've done this gig with, like, no sleep, no sound checking, no food, I would probably be really happy backstage seeing a bunch of people I haven't seen in ages, but been a busy day, and I, I think this is the last thing we're doing, so after this, maybe we'll get, we'll get a chance to socialise. No, no, no. no, I, I want to <laughs> see people. Yeah, no, I want to yeah. see people. We were talking to the hives <laughs> about it, because their dressing room's next door to us, and we're like, we were talking about the drive from Reno. Like, So, we, just for a bit of background, we played Reno last night with Modest Mouse at some uh, yeah. like ballroom in a casino, and then we drove down. We had to get from the Reno to Pasadena, so we had to drive six hours last night. So we got we finished driving at 4 a.m., slept for two hours, and then drove the rest of the way here. When we got here, we had to pull all the gear out of the van, put it onto the rotating stage, and then as soon as we finished setting up the stage, rotated, and we were just playing. So it was like, like I was, we were talking to the highest band, and they're like, "That's like classic sort of like early 2000s touring vibe." And I was like, "Man, it's like that is like it was exactly like that's what we used to do back in the day. First time we played Tea in the Park in Scotland. First time we played Reading." First time we played Puckle Pop in Belgium, we just drove the whole way and just went straight on stage yeah, I feel like the attitude back then was if it's physically possible, yeah. fine. Yeah. You know what I mean, and then the, but the reality of something being physically possible is very different to the theory of something being physically possible. You know? yeah.
1: yeah. And your 2020 album, I love that album so much, and I'm wondering what kind of vibe and headspace were you in where you were writing this album?
0: I don't even know if it was like a conscious thing, like but. We we didn't get together to write a record. Me and Guy went over for Christmas, spend Christmas with uh, the, like you know, Rother's family and our, you know, my mum and dad, and we weren't planning on doing any writing. And when we got there, like we didn't have any of our touring gear. We just had like, we just literally had the stuff that we had when when we wrote the first record. Mm-hmm. And we weren't planning on doing any writing, but one thing leads to another, and you end up like you're doing some jamming or whatever because there's nothing to do that day. And we ended up like writing a lot of ideas. I think it was a lot of it was because we were on such basic, like you know, like just a guitar into a distortion no. pedal into an amp, bass straight into the amp, and then just rot on these old oh, drum kit. So there was something really familiar about it that, that kind of like took us back to.
2: You know, the
0: reason why we were doing stuff in the first place. We wrote loads of little bits and pieces and ideas. A lot of it was written in in the UK because we nowadays we usually write split the writing between the UK and Portland or wherever. I think there was just this idea if we wanted it to be a bit more of a British sounding record, you know, like, because we listened to a lot when we we always listened to a lot of Kings and a lot of Beatles and stuff like that. And we felt like it kind of drifted away from that a little bit, but again, it wasn't the conscious. It's just where all the others. Heads happened to be at the time, and that's why, like with the artwork, it was all—all well, the artwork was based on like regional '80s TV graphics from the UK. You know, it all it all kind of like it seemed like a loosely like a concept record, but it wasn't. But it kind of loosely had that. Like, we'd, we'd been vibe. taken like the reason why we weren't writing specifically is we've been taken away from the band for a while because like we took twenty. 18 and most of 2019 off to try and get our catalogue back, like from the former label. So we were like locked in, like these kind of like legal back and forths, which is not very inspiring. And we were really stressed about it and we didn't want to toss. So, like, that night network was us reconnecting with like why we got into a band in the first place. When we started writing, we didn't even know if we were going to keep going, so we were doing it because we really liked it. So it felt like when we first started writing, when when we were writing our debut album, where you're just you're just doing it for fun, and it's no, there's no stakes. It's just like you don't even know if you're gonna make a record. So it's like you're just doing it to enjoy doing it, and it was like that. I mean, again, might sound kind of cliche, but that is that is the truth behind it. It's almost like when you go into it, you're not intending on you're not intending on doing it, or you're not supposed to be doing it. Somehow, you're just naturally doing your best work. You know yeah. what I mean? Because like. You're not supposed to be doing it, so you think, "Oh, I'm not working. I'm not doing what this. I'm not doing that." And actually, you're doing it, and you're doing it to a, like a higher level than normal because you're not you're approaching it from a much more uh, like, with a lot less baggage. You know, with a lot less baggage. Ross, what do you remember of the 2000s? Ross was like when we got signed. Ross was 16 years old, so like we you need a 16 year old's perspective on it.
2: I was stuck with all the driving at that point, you know. It's like going <laughs> right past the driving test. Uh, I don't know. I think it was just... I think it was a unique time because it was the time that the internet, like, first, you know, came about and music merged with it and, like, the kids were the people who, like, decided the direction everything was going. And, and like, it was weird, yeah, because thinking about it, like, you have all these different areas of and it's, like, they were all kind of independently doing their own thing. Like, you had, like say, you had the Libertines in London and then, like... You know like what we were doing up north and then like you know like Delta Sonic yeah Liverpool and and stuff. you know yeah. it all was kind of going on at the same time and then it all kind of merged into like one big thing you know like um so yeah so it was a bit unusual. Like the uk scene didn't really have like a a
0: name or a unifying sound it's because it was it was like like ross said it was like it was almost like these all these people like painting from separate palettes then it just all got merged all at once and it was magic for a for, for a period of time and then it You know, then it just like, like I said, it hit critical mass. The thing I will say though, with Ross being younger than us, he's the one that turned us on to the internet and what we could do with it. Because, like, me and Gary were always, like, still locked in that fanzine and that analog
2: world. So, Ross kind of opened that door for us, guys. All I can speak for is the fact that we were just three brothers in a small town doing, like, some you know our thing that we'd been kind of doing anyway and like recording like lo-fi music, which was a lot different to like you know a lot of the uh, late nighties kind of stuff. We were just kind of doing it all independently at the time, and then it just for some reason it it just like came into fruition all of a sudden. So and when, yeah. when and when when they come to you, it's it's so weird. It's yeah. like
0: like we've said it before in interviews, but it was literally like mm. you know not, as soon as it got to nine o'clock in London, like nine a.m. Like our phone would ring like for for like for weeks on end. So we we stopped setting alarm clocks for college, like for so that reason.
2: Like, at first we're excited and after a bit you're like, holy shit, the wolves at the door, what are we gonna do? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I do remember as well when we were mastering our third album and there was another band, I won't name the band, but they were you know, like getting radio playing everything, and then we heard their record and I remember saying to Alex at the time who was making our album, I was like this record yeah. that we're hearing now is like the end of this era. And this was only yeah. in 2006. Yeah. I was like, this is going to spoil it for everybody else. And mm. like, sure enough, that was the beginning of like the awful because music that came before <laughs> it, uh, could, came after it, just, you know? You could just see that it was
0: becoming easy for it to be like commercially packaged. Yes. And like, because, it was, because fundamentally a lot of it was quite accessible and easy to play, like, by its nature. Yeah. and And so, like, you did get that thing where, actually, like, you got, like, a lot of people who, like, ex-Brit poppers who, like, sort of, like, started donning leather jackets and growing out their hair, yeah. and, like, it yeah. just became stale again, you know. But, but I don't like being cynical, like, we had the benefit of having those those early
2: 2000s and really getting to enjoy it, you know. Mm. It's like the fun times are, like, when we were in our van and going and playing these small venues, but you knew stuff had changed when the band like the new bands who were considered like new contemporaries were showing up in tour buses with major label support that were bigger than the venues that they were actually playing. Yeah. Like, you know, most, we were like, something's gone wrong there. you yeah, know you so. it was over by now.
1: Yeah, once it reached the mainstream and everyone was trying to get a piece of it, it was kind of over, but... That's happened a million
0: times over the record industry, though. You know, it it's happened. just the same as all elves. It happened with punk, it happened with grunge, yes. it happened with Britpop, and it happened with our era, but unfortunately, it like was said there wasn't really a name for our era, so, like, people didn't realise it at the time. It's like, I think if anything it's like the early two thousands that like was the most fun but it's also the one that in the UK probably gets like overlooked the most. People just remember the latter part of it, you know. Yeah. Because that's when it was so commercially big, so
1: Mm -hmm. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. I wanted to interview you and get you on the pod, and basically we just recorded a podcast episode, so yeah. this is yeah. great.
0: Room to 36 minutes for a, a podcast. <laughs>
2: I think we need to get it up to the hour, yeah. though, yeah. really, yeah. don't yeah. we? Yeah. You, can, you can vamp for a bit, just though, a, right? Just put yeah. a few adverts in it, if that's yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe advertise some tab clear in there or something. Yeah. No,
1: I get tagged in so many things from followers who just love you guys and just... They'll be so stoked to hear this interview. So thank you again. See
0: you later, alligator. (laughs) Smell you later. Uh, We are the Cribs. We're indie. We're sleazy. We're totally cheesy. Well, we're not sleazy really, though. That was just a joke. But we are pretty indie. Uh, He said it all. Goodbye. See
1: See you later. See you later. See you later.